0: The Silly Goose Gang Podcast.
1: So we are back in, folks. Episode sixty-five of the Silly Goose Gang Podcast, and we're delighted to be joined by double Guinness World Record holder uh, Dean Stott. So, Dean, thanks very much for joining us uh, this afternoon, your time in this evening over here in Scotland.
0: No, thank you for having me. I appreciate it.
1: It's um. It's always a always a In fact, we very rarely get to
2: speak to any any UK military guys um, for whatever reason. We've spoken to so many seals. Um, it's always it's always a privilege to speak to our own guys. So, um, yeah, thank you. I I was actually just I was listening to you earlier on um, the 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 Jocko um, the yeah. Jocko episode. Um, so I guess you went into the studio because you're in California now. Is yeah, that's, yeah.
0: so yeah, so I think I broke the mould there. I became, you know, he's used to uh, interviewing American uh, military veterans and I was the first British veteran that he, he'd he interviewed. But um, yeah, he's only down in San Diego. I'm in Orange County, so about mm. an hour's drive. So it, it worked perfect geographically.
2: I think um, this will be, Ali will know better than me. I think this, you'll be our fourth guest that's been on Jocko.
0: Oh, really? Wow. I think, I think that's right.
2: Joel Struthers. Jason Gardner and Iris Gardner. That'd be right now now you. Absolutely. Is it um, it, it as intimidating as it seems?
0: Yeah, well, no, I I won't lie. I didn't know who Jocko was until I landed here. I I got introduced to um, Jocko through a mutual friend. So Uh actually one of Jason Gardner's friends. So Uh um, sort of going back. My ghostwriter for my book is a good friend of mine, Jez Jones, who runs a podcast called Veteran State of Mind, and he's got a lot of American contacts. So he introduced me to a guy called Mike Sorrell, who's running uh, Echelon Front, which Jocko's part of, mm-hmm. and the Talent War Group. So as soon as I as soon as I had boots on ground here in October, you know, I got introduced to Mike. We started chatting. He was just about to launch the Talent War Group and had. Know, numerous um, characters and individuals from all over the, the U.S. military. I had no one from the U.K., so it was a perfect fit and and just at the right time. And I know Jason Garden is part of, of that group as well. Yeah. Yeah. And um, I told him my story, what I'd been through and what I was doing. And he said, oh, I must get you on Jocko's podcast. And I was like, yeah, I, did, I, I just, yeah, I, did, I didn't even know who Jocko was. So I then started following him. Um, and then told a couple of people that i will be going on Jocko and they said, oh, he's intense. I was that. But I'd never put myself, I didn't listen to any of his before. I, I listened to one, I lie actually, I listened to one a couple of days before, I think it was with Pat McNamara. Someone said, well, listen to, listen to this one. So I listened to that and, and it gave me a bit of a feel for Jocko. But actually, Jocko, you know. He comes across intimidating his voice and you know he, he stamps that knife into the, into the table and things like that. but actually he's, he was a gentleman really and, and it was a really good interview and obviously goes on for a while though you know it was about three and a half an hour interview. when you're used to podcasts back in UK they're very they're 45 minutes to an hour um, because that's not that used to be the commute in time so it was the perfect time for a podcast whereas in America, Three and a half hours, four hours is is the norm, which was good because he touched on, um, you know, I have my book, Relentless. Um, you know, there, there's stories in there from my time in the military, I and mean, then I've been on podcasts before, but he went right back to the beginning, and you know, he, he had that time to ask questions that hadn't been asked before as well. So it was it was good, and it just flowed really well, and you know, and I, I got a great response. I mean, it was on like some like. Nearly seven hundred and sixty thousand downloads yeah. now on, on YouTube yeah. or something, and um, a lot of people messaging saying it was probably one of the best Jocko ones as well. So you know, it, it was good, but I didn't, I didn't psych myself out. I didn't get myself intimidated by him because I didn't actually know who he was. Or yeah, <laughs> or I
2: think that, would, yeah. I, having listened to, um, I'd listened to Joe yeah. uh is you know, I guess he's kind of a friend of ours now as well. Uh, he was a, a French Foreign Legionnaire guy. And um, you know he he had been on and he seemed a little stiff to begin with, like. But he obviously knew who Jocker was, so he was a little, he was a little stiff until he got warmed up. Um, yeah. Whereas you you didn't, you were just, um, you know, um... yeah.
0: But he, I think I think you know you, you go in there a little bit of apprehension because you know the potential reaches he has and who he is. But yeah, you know, when I when I met him outside the gym, you know, uh, Echo Echo pulled up and then Jocko pulls up and then, you know, Jocko comes in and it's like big high five, big man hug and you're like, yeah, this guy's relaxed, you know, it's it's a relaxed thing. There's no egos, there's no, and yeah, and he's, he's very good at what he does. Um, And then Echo as well, you know, great having Echo there, being a non-military guy, because he will ask questions that he may not understand. And I think Mm -hmm. what was unique on the interview with them is that our terminology in the British is very different yeah, to the American terminology, uh, either as civilians, but also in the military. We have a different, almost a different language, so it's yeah. quite good, uh, you know, I think when Jocko pre- pronounced Bournemouth, he said Bournemouth, you know I mean, it's yeah. like, <laughs> as, as you read low yeah, low it. Low. it was uh, a point. His, it was wife, a... his wife's British, his wife's from Yorkshire. Oh, is
2: he? Oh. Yeah, 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 yeah. His
0: wife's from Yorkshire, so he, uh, he, knows, he knows much about the British
2: ah right okay because you, you you said at one point um i can't even remember what you know you'd said something about you know being back on civvy street and i went does jocko know what civvy street is Would that <laughs> that make any sense to him um but yeah it was uh yeah it was i've, I've only listened to about an hour and wait tw- maybe and i was just over an hour so far but yeah it was it was good so um yeah. so yeah going going there's something that i don't maybe they touched on it later on but um Going back to the beginning, so if you, you grew up in an army family um, and lived in Aldershot, and I know you're, you're, you're talking about getting into some scuffles, but you must have been introduced to the boxing in Aldershot
0: yeah, in the army. Um, not, not, no, no, only through – well, the Maida gym, where the army boxing team is. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, my dad used to, on Wednesday evenings, he used to run – it was almost like a kids' club. Right. It was, it was at the Maida gym. So, you know, you'd have five-a-side football, there'd be trampolines there, there'd be, there'd be all sorts of sports. And my dad would sort of coordinate that. So I knew of the Maida gym, but my memories of Maida gym were being a child playing sports there. I, when I joined Five-Nine Commando, I joined the, uh, the boxing team there and we were the army minor unit champions. So mm. each year, because we'd win, we'd automatically go through to the final. We, we didn't need to fight off any more teams. Um, but the final was always held in the major gym, in, in, in Oldershot. So that was the first time, really, I saw it as a, a boxing arena rather than actually somewhere yeah. I had a child I was growing up. So yeah. so, yeah, no, I wasn't really introduced to milling or, or, or things like that. You know, you know as a, a touch on, my, my father then sent me to, to school in North Camp when all my friends went to a school in Aldershot called Connaught, which was where most of the military kids tended to sort of naturally progress to. I think my father was looking at getting out of the military towards his end of his career. So he wanted to almost take me out of that environment and and start introducing me to just civilian kids, really. Kids whose parents have no association with the military, but being a... And he's sort from of Montrose, my old man. He's a Scotsman. So he's uh, being, a, being an old school Scottish sergeant major. You know, he, he thought, you know, secondary school, you've got to make an impression. It's all about making first impressions. And uh, <clears throat> as I touched on in Jocko's, I, I turned up day one wearing a blazer with a like, leather briefcase. And I was like, oh, my God. You know, <laughs> like These are from in between us. And it just brought so much attention to me. Unwanted attention. Um, so yeah, so I, I got into trouble a bit there fighting. Um, mm. but my dad was old school. It, it was, and that's where I, again, I tell, cause I know Jocko and, and even now a lot of people in this Brazilian Jitsu. you know, mm. as a child, my, my old man said, look, once they're down, they're down, you know, you, you, that's it. You don't do anything else. And and I've always, it's old school way of boxing is that you, so, yeah. um, so you know, I remember when I got suspended. My dad's like, ah, "Right, did you hit him when they were down?" I said, "No, because you told me not to." He's like, "Yeah, good." Yeah. Um, <laughs> but rather than addressing the fact why I was actually in a fight, because you dressed me like. That. <laughs> so I did. I did mention it to him. Can I do? I, can I wear another jacket and maybe get a school bag? Like, yeah. You have
2: a, a an old school army guy from Montrose. You'll <laughs> be a a hard man.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Very much. Yeah, very much a hard, a hard man, and. Uh, you know, I met a few people <clears throat> in my career who knew him. So I, my, my father was the army um, football manager, player and coach. So he had a great reputation within the army as as a, as a football player. And so when I, and Stotts, not a common surname at all within the military. There's not that many Stotts. I don't I, I mean I've come across another. Uh, one. There's one actually I've come across since. Um, and so a lot of people that, you know, in the same cat badge, Royal Engineers, oh, you must be davy stotts boy yeah yeah so automatically you're either, you know been tarnished with his history he's either upset <laughs> someone or you know they've met him through sport so um so yeah so when i joined you no know, they my first posting was to germany because they were the army football champions so like well, you're you're davy stotts boy and 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 that's what i did i went out to germany for my first posting to 2-8 engineer regiment um, <clears throat> but soon Identified. I wanted to have my carve my own path. I didn't want to just follow my dad's my dad's footsteps mm-hmm. as well. So um, yeah, and, yeah. So there's pros and cons of being associated with him. I remember in basic training, you know, basic training you go through. Um, and I think on week, you know, it's ten week basic training. I think on week five, you write a letter home inviting your parents to your passing out parade. And so that's what I did. I wrote a letter home. Then they reply. My dad. Um I'd kept it quiet that my dad was in the military. And um next thing all I hear is stop you know, getting screamed from the office or that. Like, I ran down there in like my little tracksuit, and um they're like, You never told us your dad was in the engineers. So my father got the British Empire Medal, so he'd signed it, you know, D stop B-E-M-R-E, which then just exposed <laughs> that he was in the engineers. So of course my training instructors like well, you never told us. I was like, Oh, you didn't really ask. Um and then he started thinking. Is that? Like, Hang on. He said, "Your dad Scottish." I said, "Yeah." He said, "Your dad jailed me when I was in training." I was like, "For <laughs> <laughs> the next five weeks, I spent my life in the in the press up position." So, uh, <laughs> it's, uh, yeah, it's one of them ones.
2: Yeah, those things. Those things go either you know one or two ways. It either works in your favor or people fucking punish you because. Uh, something you know it's like you, 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 they'll get it back on you for whatever reason but yeah that's, um, that's quite, uh, did you ever find out
0: why you put him in jail Um, no no I didn't I didn't find out why but you know obviously but my dad was fair but firm everyone I spoke to you know he wasn't you know you get so many majors who have egos and you know attitude yeah. with it he, he wasn't like that he was very fair but, fair but firm that I, I heard from him and um, you know he, he was one of the lads and he and he's quite funny, my, my dad, you know, because <clears throat> he knew he was quite fit. So as a major, Gibraltar Barracks, which is um, just outside Camberley, uh, he used to do a BFT, a basic fitness test, which is a mile and a half run on, on, on a Friday. And he used to say to the squadron, anyone who comes behind me doesn't go home for the weekend. And um, my dad was, you know, my dad was... Was, was quite fit although he's, you know, he's getting old and he used to just shoot off and he, he could see in everyone's faces like oh my god Let's just see their weekend disappearing but what, <laughs> he used do, what he used to do he used to get to the halfway point and then he'd sort of you know he'd sort of slow up and start letting them pass but yeah he, you know he used to play mind games with them as well but um, yeah a bit of a character.
1: Yeah,
2: yeah, that's um, yeah, I love those stories of those, those, those uh, crazy old guys who, yeah, <laughs> like to punish people. Um, but yeah, what uh, actually, just because you just because you talked about a mile and a half, what is the what's a like the military's one and a half mile time? This is only, only purely because I had to do it, I had to do it recently for in a you know, training session, a mile and a half time, and uh, I was just wondering, what is it? What is the military's as a special forces mile and a
0: half time? Yeah. No, there isn't, no. I think it sort of changed over the years. When I, when I joined, you, you basically, you, you run a mile and a half with the PTI and you've got to do that in 15 minutes. You know? So he'll jog you out, walk you, jog you out, and then you get to the turnaround point at 15 minutes. And then you've got individual best effort. You've got to then do a mile and a half back. Um, and there used to be certain times uh, for certain age groups. Um, but for me, it was all as, as fast as you could um i remember doing my first ever one um during basic uh, sorry just before basic training uh down in Purbright. and i just ran because i'd never done a mile and a half before so i couldn't engage what a mile and a half looked like and i just sprinted, mm. sprinted and yeah, the lungs were coming out of my mouth and i did it about eight minutes 30 and this pti was like you'll never do that again but i used to always do you know i used to always say when i was in the military i was like oh, you know because as long as you get in in a certain time you've passed
1: yeah, yeah. For me. It was
0: almost about giving my my 100%, and I used to say, "Oh, I'm going to take it easy today." I and mean, you just see some, <laughs> you just see some whip it go off, and you're "Right, like, try and catch him." But it's good for runners, you know. But that's the basic fitness test. You have the, the combat fitness test, which is you, you need to march um, eight miles in two hours carrying a certain amount of kit. I mean, there's all these mm-hmm. other additional exercises off. There. They're the, they're the basic standards, and then if you go commandos, Paras, SF, they have their own tests on on top of that but i think that's a a baseline for the military so you know where you are yeah uh, fitness wise i remember going out to germany when i was playing football and i ended up being a pti out there and what um where they did their bft you you ran out as the pti to the turnaround point and then you had to run back with them and you had to beat them all in You know to take their times so there was no pressure but there was a i can't remember his name now there's a lad who was like an army or tri-service like cross-country runner he was a scottish boy as well but he was an alcoholic and he just smoked (laughs) like a chimney but he could do do it in something something like six minutes 50 which is unheard of um you know my fastest ever was like seven minutes ten um so all i used to do with him is um I'd just give him this the stopwatch. <laughs> he, he'd go back, <laughs> yeah. I mean, clock his time, and then, you uh, know, uh, probably I would come second, and then start clocking everyone else that's, in. But um, that's super yeah. fast. Oh yeah, no, he was. Yeah. Um, oh, his name will come to me soon. But yeah, but he, a whip it, but couldn't pull his body weight up for for shit. You know, what I mean, he couldn't get himself <laughs> up a rope or a pull up bar. You know what I mean? But perfect, yeah. Yeah. perfect running machine. Perfect for yeah. running. That's, yeah, that's
2: super fast, uh, seven, even like 7.10 for that time, that's, that's, yeah. that's
0: fast. Yeah, well, at my 7.10, actually, I did that when I was 28 years old. Uh, I didn't do it when I was younger. So I, 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 I was an instructor in the All-Arms Commando course in 2001 and I went on Special Forces Selection after that because I was, I, was, I was quite fit. But my training for selection at that point, I was running up and down mountains along the North Devon coastal path carrying weight on my back because that's what everyone had done before me. Um, So when I got on selection I already had a a slight knee injury and then that then aggravated uh, and then I tore my lateral meniscus so I ended up coming off. And then when I went back on selection um, three years later I was a senior diving instructor at the dive school down in Portsmouth. I wanted to change I I didn't have the opportunity to go running up mountains because I was running courses and I didn't have as much time and and things like that so I sort of looked at my training before what worked and what didn't so when I was on selection before I've got quite big um I call them hill legs I've got big quads and things like that so walking up hills is not a problem with weight um but where I could gain time was running along the straights or running down hills and, and that's what i needed to work on so when i was running this course in the evening i would just go on a spinner bike spinner bikes to started coming out a spinner bike for two hours um so i had two hours with a bergen on my back on a spinner bike Ooh. and i had two young two junior dive instructors who worked with me um scouse mckeverley and, and webby and they would do an hour each just to keep me entertained but Actually, the spinning, obviously, low impact. So it wasn't impacting my knee. But actually, my CV came on leaps and bounds. And we did a BFT on the next course. And I came in 7 minutes 10. I was like, hang on, I'm like 28 years old. <laughs> it's like as a sergeant. But, you know, it was that CV. Um, and that was perfect then. I knew then I had the hill legs and I had the had the speed for selection.
2: Yeah, yeah. I know. Um, I haven't spoke to... Uh, um gareth tibbins who was a, a commando before and he was talking about taking americans up uh ben nevis um <laughs> just 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 to break them um yeah. it was quite funny you know talking about it was actually funny talking to, to him you know we, we were asking him about the difference between American and, and british militaries, you know, and he was just saying you know they, they used to take the americans up there to break them and they would say why would you get a helicopter and that was kind of the difference. Why yeah. would you take a helicopter, you fucking idiot? And I knew, no, get your stuff on, yeah. let's go. Uh, yeah, We've we got
0: go. a different mindset. We just don't, we know, we name the borrowers from them. You know, we just borrow all their kit. They have all the assets that they, they probably don't need to do that. I remember one year when we had the foot and mouth in UK, mm-hmm. they, they couldn't do selection. So they they dwindled down. Uh, a number of the candidates I and mean, then they flew them out to America and did selection out there. I mean, the lads just smashed every record that they had in in the oh, US. So it's, um, yeah, it's a different mindset. Um You know, I, I know Delta Force and SEAL Team 6, uh, they're tier one, they're, 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 their selection process is similar to ours now, which is good. Um But yeah, yeah So I yeah, think... You just don't yeah. have the money <laughs> that they have. Yeah, well, yeah. that
2: was that was essentially what Gareth Timmons had said. He said, you know, he, he just said um, our guys are. He, he said hands down better Then he kind of backtracked a little bit just to make sure not to offend anybody, I think. But you know, he was saying our guys are, are better because we don't have the kit. Yeah, that's you know that's what makes them better, um, yeah. which is quite weird. And interestingly, um it's very difficult to get any UK military you know we like speaking to military guys um, and it's hard to get any UK guys on and I don't know if it's a you know they don't necessarily you know special forces guys don't want to speak or they yeah. don't like the limelight I, I don't know why it is but um,
1: yeah we've I mean, struggled because as we we've had half a dozen seals a couple of US green berets yeah. and we had we've had Pat McNamara on Pat Mac the yeah. friend of um, us. <laughs> but we've half a dozen British military guys have messaged and they've just said, no, not interested.
0: It, we And is that Special Forces guys, is
1: it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Predominantly, yeah, and I don't know if that's what we're saying, if that's what the issue is. Um We've had a couple yeah. of Marines on, as I say, we've had Gareth Timmons on, we've had Mark Hormorod on. Um, so Marines are normally all right, and we had uh, Steel, the Magic Marine that was on Britain's Got Talent.
0: Yeah, mm-hmm. well, he's the only one I know has stuck. He's the only yes. one yeah. I know, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So, but the thing is, what... <laughs> This is the thing, everyone has, when special forces gets thrown out quite a lot, actually. You know, very, especially in America, and everyone's special forces. Mm, when yes. actually a lot of people don't realise there's a, there's a tier process. So in the UK, we have the Marines and the Paras as tier two. I mean, SAS and SBS are tier one. And you'll tend to find it's probably them that you'll struggle to get on the show. Right, okay. They already have a public profile. Whereas if you go to the US, SEALs, Green Berets, Rangers, you know, they're tier two. So your SEAL Team 6 in the Deltas, you would have the same problem there as well. So, right, okay. Because special, special Forces gets thrown out quite a lot, whereas here we like to call it Elite Forces, as your Marines and Paras and your Special Forces. So it's right. a big it's distinction. So, Yeah, that makes sense. You know, you know everyone I bump into is a Special Forces. And
1: yeah. So, so yeah. yeah. Well, sense. I used to... I, I Sorry, new go, Dean.
0: No, no, yeah. Or, or or have served with them as well. And that's the different one. But I think for me, where well, I was quite... Quite uh, not not lucky. So um, I sort of going back slightly. I wasn't. I was a, one of the first army guys to go SBS. I wasn't a Royal Marine. I didn't go the normal tra- uh, normal route. I mean, yeah, obviously, I was. Time... Yeah, got me.
1: So, I was just going to say, I was going to ask you about that because I went down to Limston back in 99, ended up blowing out my AC and LCL and uh, taking a medical discharge. But at the time, it was only Royal Marines that could go into the SBS. And then when I was doing my research on you, I saw you were the SBS but were Army. So, I was going to ask how that happened. So,
0: yeah, so obviously, de- days of old, as you rightly pointed there, you know, Royal Marines was 100% to the SBS, and then I would normally go SAS. The, I ended up going back down to Limson as an instructor on the All-Arms Commando course, um, which, which is great. I, you know, I really enjoyed my time there. Um, and at the end, it, it, what happened is basically they got to a point where the SBS were losing candidates to the SAS. So some of the Marines didn't like diving, so they would go SAS, but you couldn't do it the other way. So yeah. they sort of looked at it and said, well, look, let's open up tri-service as the SAS do. And in they're all engineers. We have 450 divers within the engineers. So um, so that's what they did. They opened the doors up, tri-service. There was a uh, course officer who used to come down at the end of the 30-miler with the all-arms. He would come and do a presentation on the SBS. So that's where I sort of saw the, the first presentation. And for me, it was just a natural fit. When I decided to go on selection, I'd already... Spent. I did eight years in Free Commander Brigade and 7M in Brigade Recce Force, and I then left and was now the senior dive instructor for the Army. So for me, it was the natural sort of progression. So much to the disgust of my friends in the SAS, I went down, I went that way. Um, yeah, me and one of the other lads, you know, we were on the course past. And I think now 15 percent thereabouts, maybe a little bit more, are now from the Army um which which was good so so i did that you know i didn't go your normal traditional route um but then i left for a parachute injury uh and, and things like that but sort of going back to your original question about being the public profile so there's a sh- i got i got approached in 15 2000 yeah 2015 by minnow films who we were coming up with a concept called sas who dares wins mm. so um uh, one of the guys, Andrew Slater, who's an, another Scots Scott, guy from Aberdeen, he was a researcher. He he rang me up and said, Look, your name keeps coming up. You know, can we have a chat? So he flew up to Aberdeen and we had it. We, we sat down and said, Look, this is what we're looking at doing. Um, this is the show. Your name's come up. Are you interested? And I said, Look, I'll be I'd be interested and I can get you other guys on the show, but it needs to be cleared through the mod so in the special tier one special forces we sign the official secrecy act and this is where you'll be having issues with certain guys is you you sign the official secrecy act um which doesn't mean you can't talk about anything there's just certain things you can't talk about and uh, so i said look you need to be cleared by them before you go do this show you know so i got Ant and foxy on the show, I introduced him to, to Minnow Films. A week later, the MOD wrote me a letter and said, look, you need to step away from this. I was like, I'm fine. You know, for me, at the time, I was I was working in the private security industry and, and things like that, and I needed to keep a low profile with some of the jobs that I was doing. So I stepped away and they went on and did the show. And, um, you know, for me, it was like, I had visions of, there was a guy, there was a show called SESU Tough Enough? I thought it was going to be, be like that. Um, and 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 it, you know they went on and did that and they all be all then obviously got persona non gratis from the group you know it's, you just don't do it unless it's been approved by, by the MOD and so and so I um, when I did my bike ride you know my profile then came out I then had a public profile so I've done it another way that I've managed to still stay on side yeah. with the MOD without upsetting them. So so that's probably where you're you, you're probably gonna hit hurdles with other potential special forces speakers is the fact that they've signed the official secrecy act or they just still want to keep a, a low profile.
1: Um, yeah it makes it makes sense because we had that even with my pal Scott didn't we, Chris? Yeah. Yeah. Um, who's who was in the Marines, he stayed after I left out um and he's now working private security. And mm-hmm. when we first launched this podcast, me and Chris were both lucky that we knew people in relatively interesting roles like Chris knows, Ian Mackie, the hundred meter sprinter that competed in Atlanta Olympics. And yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, we both knew like a couple of power lifters and, and I knew I knew um Scott. So I thought I'll get Scott on. And and he said exactly what you said Dean he's, he's still working the private security is out mm-hmm. somewhere at the moment doing it. And he was yeah. like, would it go Would it go on the internet? And I was like, well, yeah. And he's like, not willing to do it then because it puts me at risk. It puts my team at risk. Could potentially put my family at risk back home. And I was like, totally respect that. You just have to. It's something yeah. that you don't really think about being on Civvy Street. That, uh, and actually you know, you we just to, do a wee podcast.
0: Yeah, when you speak to the MOD and when you talk about, you know, you, you being a public figure, you know, they sort of highlight to you that they can't protect you anymore, you and your family, because you're now out there in the domain. And, and that's what it is. They just want to protect you and, and your family mm-hmm. as much as possible. Um, so this, this, is yeah. one of
2: the, this is one of the things when I see, you know, I, um, like, uh, you know, he, uh, who dares wins, all this kind of stuff is because of exactly what you've just said, you know, if you're, uh, you know, if you're a legitimate um, special forces guy, uh, you know, at the highest level, you know, th- are those guys really doing that stuff? Um, and the way the way I always think about it is, you know, how you get like, um, remember the show Danny Dyer's deadliest, most you know deadliest men? Yeah. You, you know, you used to watch it. And go like, before it, you know, no real hard man or no real deadly man is going to be on TV going, yeah, I'm a, I'm a real hard man because yeah. it wouldn't do that. Do you know what I mean? It's, it's just you know.
0: There's a, there's a fine line, you know, I don't, I don't watch the show. Um, I watched one, I've watched the first one of that, yeah, done. The, um, you know, there's a fine line between authenticity and entertainment. And, yeah. and to be honest, if you, if you were to do a, a, a factual show on, the, on the, the normal selection, it'd be quite boring, you know, because there is no shouting, there is no cursing and things like that. They don't need to shout and curse. The course is hard enough itself. Yeah. You can potentially fail yourself. So you know there, there there is that element. I mean, obviously, you know, you know, everyone thinks that's what it's like, and it's nothing like that at, at all. Um, but you know that it, that that's that's the show. I mean, you know, some of the characters on there as well. You know, their heads have got bigger than the show. So um, you know, it's uh, it's interesting. It's interesting. Yeah, it's of course. Me, it's true like easy. I, like I, said, I I I was working in the security industry, and I got injured out. So I had a parachute injury from the uh, yeah. from the Special Forces. And actually, it was actually when I was exiting the aircraft. So I was jumping out 15,000 feet on what was a hey-ho jump, high altitude, high opening. So the parachute egg, uh, opens straight away. And you travel up to um, 30 minutes or 50 kilometers to the target area. So we've done a few of these jumps. Um, well, I've done you know, hundreds of these jumps. But on this day, we've done a few. And I exited the aircraft and my leg got caught in the line above my head. And so I was trying to kick it out in time before the parachute had opened. But I couldn't open it, I couldn't kick it out in time and my leg got ripped over my head and to the right. And same with yourself. I, um, I tore my ACL, my MCL, my lateral meniscus, my hamstring, my calf and my quad as well. So also all the support muscles as well. So my first concern was how was I going to land it? Because um, no one else in the team was aware there was a problem 15,000 feet, you're on the limits of oxygen. So I was drifting in and out of consciousness and also vomiting because of the pain. Um, but my first challenge was was to land it. I landed it successfully. <laughs> landed it one-legged, actually. And then I remember shouting medic. And actually, it was Ant Middleton was in a parachute next to me. He so said, that was good landing. I said, yeah, but the exit exit wasn't. Uh, so um, that, that was the end of my my career. And I was 16 years in the military and then having grown up in, in and around the military. And then I went without sounding like Liam Nees and people with our skill sets, you know, naturally progression is going <laughs> to go <into> the <laughs> private security industry. And, and and that's what I did. I didn't want to, a lot of my friends now had their own sort of uh, maritime security companies, you know, doing a lot of work off the east coast of Africa. I didn't want to sort of compete with them. Uh, I moved from Poole to Aberdeen, you know, Al- Alano's from, from Aberdeen. Uh, and so I sort of went there, but within 48 hours, I was in Libya helping up, set up the DFID project, which was part of the British Embassy in Benghazi during the Arab Spring. And soon identified that, firstly, the Libyans didn't want it being another Afghan or Iraq uh, when Gaddafi had fallen. And also that these larger security companies, these big players, were charging six, seven-figure sums for crisis management and evacuation plans, which weren't actually in place. So I flew home... After a couple of weeks, Solana gave birth to our daughter Molly, and I took our savings out of the bank. And uh, I went back in and I bought 30 weapons on the black market and I buried them between Tunis and Egypt and just designed my own evacuation plans. Spent a month in the desert um, putting these all together, you know, comms kit, money, you know, weapons and, and such. Went back out six months later because obviously when I when I was burying them the first time around, there was a big shortage of ammunition because obviously the war was still going on. Checked that they were all there. I mean, I just sold that concept to the oil and gas sector um, should they need evacuating from the air, the sea or the land and just sat on it. I mean, in 2012, I'd just come back from the London Olympics and I was in Benghazi the evening that the American ambassador got killed. They made a, a movie called 13 Hours mm-hmm. and you know, I, I got a phone call asking if I could help a uh, German oil company, get eight of their engineers safely from Benghazi to Tripoli. And that's what I did. I got them back through safe houses I had in the desert. And then two years later, I got a phone call from the Canadian embassy. I was now in Brazil covering the World Cup. And there was a thing called the Tripoli War, which is a civil war between the militias and the government. And they said, look, your names come up. Can you <laughs> can you help us? So I went back in and, you know, their their close protection team weren't even allowed to leave their accommodation. So I did all the planning, spoke to the, all the tribal elders, and then, yeah, we single-handedly evacuated the Canadian embassy, 18 military and four diplomats from Libya to Tunis. And so there was those sort of jobs I was doing at the time when Channel 4 were coming to me, and it just didn't fit the profile of me smuggling people across borders (laughs) while while I'm all over Channel 4. So, yeah, that, that that was what I was doing in the security industry. And then I came back from that trip and my wife had highlighted, I'd only been home 21 days in a 365 day calendar. So something had to, something had to change. So I hung up my security boots and started working my wife, who's very entrepreneurial. And at this time she was a property developer in Aberdeen. I don't know if you know Aberdeen well, do you, do you know Peter Coover? It's about-
1: mm-hmm. eight, Yeah, eight, eight I know Peter yeah, yeah, yeah,
0: So we're living in Peter Coover. So, during this period, it's probably about five years now after leaving the military. My injured leg was two kilos lighter than my good leg, and so I just bought a push bike off Amazon and just cycled to and from the office. Bought a cyclocross actually because of the big potholes in Aberdeen. Uh, I thought <laughs> I thought a road bike would be getting buckled quite easy, and just cycling to and from the office. You know, it wasn't big miles; there, about eight miles. There, eight miles, back, felt felt a lot better again being active because I sort of lost that identity with my injury. And um, so my wife, you know, I can imagine me sat in these architects and planners meetings. I was like, not really interested in what anything you've got to say. Uh, <laughs> it was more the, coffee <laughs> the, more the coffee and the biscuits. And my wife was running the business anyway. So um, she could see that glaze over my eyes and said, right, you need to do something. So it was a month before my 40th birthday and I was getting ground rush of being a middle-aged man, I'm panicking. Like, what have I done with my life? You know what I mean? What's my legacy? And um, so I said, oh, I fancy doing a world record. And so I was, I was thinking... As,
2: as you do, as you do. <laughs> yeah.
0: She said, well, what in? I said, well, something physically active. Um, I said, well, cycling's good because it's not, it's not impacting my knee. Why don't why we do that? I'm thinking more maybe Aberdeen to Fife and return. And my wife then found the world's longest road, which runs from southern Argentina to northern Alaska. So it's the equivalent of cycling from London to Sydney. And then 4,000 miles, it's that far. So having only cycled 20 miles, that's what I did. Sounds quite arrogant. I applied for the wheel record for the wheel's longest road. And six weeks later, Guinness came back and said, yes, you've been successful on your application. So that's how I sort of transitioned from the security world into the world that I'm sort of in at the moment. Although I am still doing a bit of security in the background.
1: Is, is it true as well i don't know whether this is one of these internet things that i read when i was looking you up dean but one you'd planned it for 110 days i believe and you did it in the 100 because you needed to get back for a certain wedding is that true
0: yeah that was it yeah so i, when I, was doing the- <laughs> I love
2: that <laughs> right lads that's the most british military thing ever right lads we we'll have to chap on here. I don't need to get
1: home. <laughs> okay.
0: Yeah, we're going back slightly, so and to give the audience a bit more an idea about the challenge. So, I've done a lot of charity work anyway. Me and my wife still do a lot of charity work. So, I was an ambassador for the SBS Association. I'm an ambassador for the British Legion. I've done a lot of stuff before. So, I'm going to massively name drop now. So, Harry, Prince Harry and I known each other about 14 years. We met each other on a military training course, and we just maintained friendship ever since you know he used to come to events that i would run i'd go to some of his events did everything very low-key under the radar so i rang him up when guinness had come back and said yes you've been successful i said look i'm gonna cycle the world's longest road you know what should we do it for and in this was 2016 so him his brother and kate were running a just about to launch a campaign called heads together which was the focus was mental health and i'd seen I'd seen the effects of mental health within the military, but not seen how it affected the whole of society. So I said, "Yeah, let's do it for that." So that was the campaign. I set a target of a million pounds, and we, and we now had the challenge. So, so that that was where that was what was going on in the background. Him and I did a promo video together to help promote the challenge, and this is where my profile then there being special forces then goes public. And I, you know, and but the, the military were fully behind it. The SF community from behind us a lot. You know, you're promoting, you know, a great cause. As long as you keep doing things like that, it's not a problem. So yeah, yeah as you're right, he you touched on the world record was 100. Well, when when I applied for the world record, it was a, um, it was 125 days, and then six weeks later, when Guinness came back, it had already been beaten by uh, eight days. It was now 117 days or that. But yeah. So my my target was 117 days, and when I was putting the when I was doing the planning element of it, I know I wasn't the cyclist. I just knew. That military style sort of meticulous planning and detail you know put into this I just took a military set of orders and just crossed out ammunition and <laughs> I was looking at all the potential contingencies the actions on issues that could happen on the challenge and there were things that you, you know you, you could factor but there was stuff that was out of your control be it natural disasters coups third party influence so should I encounter any of that I didn't want it eaten into my record. So, although the world record was 117 days, I set a target of 110 days. So, should we encounter that, it was eaten into that week and not into my my target. And as you rightly said, you know, I, I, I did South America, the world record was 58 days. I took 10 days off the South America world record and then got into North America on day 70. So, I was now 14 days ahead of my target record and so I was that ah, perfect <laughs> I can I can take a day's rest here or there if, if need be and then my wife who was the campaign director she was running all the projects around me you know she'd rang me at five missed calls after an hour of getting into America so my initial you know she doesn't ring me unless it's very important so my initial concern was was my children I thought there was something wrong yeah. I, I I got off the bike and I spoke to her and she said look you know, what do you wear to a royal wedding? I was like, sorry. She goes, you have been invited to in Harry and Meghan's wedding. I was like, okay. She goes, no, you don't understand. She goes, you, for you to get back for this wedding, you need to be finished by day 102, which is 15 days ahead of the world record. So going into the phone call, I was 14 days ahead. 10 minutes later, I'm now a day behind. Me. So it didn't matter what I'd done before me. I'm now behind my new target. So I then got to... Lubbock in Texas the next day and we had 60 mile an hour winds and tornadoes and I was now grounded for another 24 hours and so I'm two days behind so I just just took pen to paper there's an app on your phone called windy tv which gives you the strengths and directions of the winds forecasted for the next two weeks every hour but it's about 95% accurate so I just made a plan you know I had to cycle 340 miles in the next 36 hours to miss the next weather window and I just played chess with mother nature through north america majority of the cycling at night um used it to my advantage as well got a lovely tailwind in cheyenne and i cycled 260 miles in 11 hours with 10,000 climbing I, I had so i gained that time up now i got to canada and i was a week outside and i thought perfect you know the world record's Done. I'm going to be back in time for this royal wedding, but then this gentleman had just come out on social media that day. You know, I'm a novice cyclist, uh, and he was a professional. He's already got three other endurance world records. It was in his mid 20s, sponsored by Red Bull, all the big brands, and he'd announced that he was going to cycle the Pan American Highway in August and be the first man to do it under 100 days. I was that like, oh, great? So, uh, so the the, the the challenge, the dynamics of the challenge changed again for me. I didn't. I wasn't comfortable in just smashing the world record and being back for the wedding. I wanted to give it my all and see if I could get in under the hundred days. So I cycled for 22 hours in the last 30 hours in minus 18 and, and came in, in 99 days, 12 hours and 56 minutes. So it wasn't the original plan. Uh, the original plan was anything, anything better than 117 days. And here we were now trying to go sub 100, but I think, for me, I was in a position, thankfully, when the information came to me, I was in a good position that I could act on it. I was already well ahead yeah, yeah. on my target. If I'd known about that at the start, the the raw wedding or even this other guy, it may have been been too much. But in ninety-nine days, you know, I had five days off free due to weather and two due to logistics. So I would have had that little bit of fun. So you, you, you never know, but it's just just how it panned out. But I talk about how important it was the planning. That was important, but actually, the success of this challenge was being reactive to the plan changing on the ground. That was the success of this, not actually no, from the original plan to where we were it was night and day. Um, even to the last last twenty four hours, the plan was changing. I I had
2: you have to on those things. I mean, you you'd have to. It's, I mean, just to like give you know. I mean, uh, what day is this Monday? So yesterday, I was in. Um, uh, Torridon uh, cycling. So I've got the, the Keltman Kelman Extreme uh, Iron Distance Triathlon in right. June. So I went up uh, Saturday night, uh, stayed, and then I did a lot of the cycle route. And I made a mistake ridiculously around yeah. about that area. There's two towns called Shieldaig. Right. So on the way on the way back, the look back, I seen a sign for Shieldaig. I went, oh, this must be another way. I'll just I'll go this way and find my way to Torridon. Yeah. I only added on an extra ten miles. Yeah when you've planned out how much calories and how much water to take yeah. and you add an extra 10 miles into something all of a sudden then it was really quite warm it was about 18 degrees which is ridiculous in scotland um and i had because in the morning it was freezing cold i had a like a, a mid-layer kind of burgers fleece on By this time i was sweating had nowhere to put it and then you're 10 you know you're short on food and water so i was getting crazy cramps in my left um uh, hammy, was I was getting insane cramps because I dried out so much, didn't have enough water and salt. And you think that's on seventy-one miles. Yeah, so to yeah. do that for the length of time that you were doing it, you think like there's so many things you would have to yeah, change yeah. almost hour by hour. Um, it's everything. insane.
0: Yeah, everything, everything was changing. You know, I got food poisoning twice in Peru. I crashed my bike in Chile. Got knocked off my bike in Colombia. You know, there's so many other factors. You know, you you can make a plan, but it's going to change. And as long as you as long as you are aware of that, you know. I, I say you can't control the uncontrollables. You know, just go with it. Just go with whatever's happening for you for, for that day. So, yeah, it worked out. Ninety four days cycling, which, were, which was which one hundred and forty seven miles a day for for ninety four days. Um, I know. That's so.
2: Uh, so we did them um, last year in April. Uh, right? Uh, yeah, I think it's just over a year ago we did it. Um, I know really that came on Facebook recently. We did the uh, there's a, an app for your phone um, uh, called Sufferfest. Where oh, yeah. you do, you know that app, so you can do a, it has, I think there's ten videos you do, uh, you become a knight of Sufferlandria. It's just a nonsense thing, but it's, it's quite difficult. So I did that it was eleven hours on the bike one day,
1: yeah. and
2: I couldn't get off the bike. I was just like, holy, I can't, I can't get up, and my legs. Were, and you're thinking. How do you do that for a hundred days?
1: <laughs> That's I what I was gonna say because because it's probably doable, as you say, doing 120 miles in a day, full stop. Mm. Yeah, yeah. Not not for a hundred days plus, and as you percent. say, knocking out 340 odd miles in 36 hours. That's
0: but you insane. can't. You can't. Um, is it like, Before I'd even gone out there, I'd never cycled 150 miles in a one. I'd done. 10 hours on a watt bike at altitude, you know, just to simulate altitude that I know that I could, I could, um, I could I could cycle at altitude. Because I, I had to look at the the climates and the conditions that I was going through. You know, the great thing about this challenge, which I really loved, was the fact it's it's got all the weather systems. You're going from the southern point of Argentina mm. to northern Alaska. So it went from plus 47 degrees in the driest non-popular desert in Chile to minus 18. Um, you had the humidity in Central America. You had the altitude, you know, in the Tour de France, depending on what route they do each year, ranges between 21 and 23 kilometers their biggest climb. My biggest climb was 67 kilometers from sea level to four and a half thousand meters in a day. So it just blew whatever we had here. So to replicate the heat, I flew out to Dubai and did heat training for two weeks. To replicate the altitude, I I went into the altitude center I did Lanz and John Groats twice, just as a training rides. It sounds really arrogant, <laughs> <laughs> training um, because you can't you can't replicate a challenge like that. Yeah. You can't go yeah. do yeah. anything like it. So for me, it's always the first week is always going to be hard, however fit you are. Uh, but once you've got past that first week, then your body knows what it's asking of it. Um, so for me, I wasn't doing big miles at the beginning, but when, when it got to you know, when it got to peru about three or four weeks later and even, even though when i got food poisoning i was still anything less than 150 miles wasn't enough for me you know because physically and mentally i was getting stronger and also yeah. i had a lovely tailwind through peru you know i'd spoken to the previous record holders and they all started in alaska and finished in argentina so when i was doing my research and having spoken with them all their issues were in south and central america so i thought as a military man or a, not even just the military man, I just common sense. I said, why, why not address those issues early? Why not get South and Central America out of the way? And Then once you're in North America, you know your issues should all be left behind mm. you. So that's what I did. I, I turned it on its head. Just because they went that way didn't mean it was the right way. And I, I decided to start from Argentina. And from a psychic perspective, you know it was great. I had a tailwind all the way through Peru. And when you get a tailwind, that's 2,500 kilometers of tailwind um so you can gaining some really good time and, and one thing that really surprised me on the challenge was the road conditions you know i talk about aberdeen getting the cycle across because of the potholes mm. the um in in south america there was only my bike was an all bay of Terror, so it was an all road bike so it had the clearance for larger tires and then I mean, your, your roads your slick road tires so other than a 10 kilometer stage between um, Argentina and Chile border. The rest was just slick road tires. The road surfaces were, were amazing. And that's mm. where I gained a lot of time. And then the next time I put on gravel tires was the last 400 miles, the Dalton's Highway in Alaska, where they film ice truckers. The rest of it was just, you know, was really, was slick. So, so that, that
2: me out, yeah. one of the things one of the things that i have to ask you um uh, you know everybody else does not have to listen to this but uh how do you feel for that that's something that i'm interested in how do you feel how do you feel yourself are you going on you know calories per hour or carbs per hour or how are you taking food in or
0: yeah i wasn't you know i started cycling at 40 um so you know we, we were chatting to the likes of these sis and talk and all these lot but you know, I approach Ginsters first. I just eat what I, what I like, like to eat. I did, the, I did the Prudential 100 down in London and I had two Ginsters and two Greg sausage rolls hanging out my back. You know, I'm, I'm not I'm too old to be trying to gels and things like that. And your body, your body won't be able to, for 100 plus days, won't be, you know, you'd end up being sick. So you just need to eat what yeah. you can. You know, I was burning between nine and 12,000 calories a day Um, your body can only consume 7,000 through food the rest has to come through drinks and shakes and things like that so my wife was making all sorts she ended up training up as a sports nutritionist and giving me all these plans and ideas but actually throw the plans out the window when you get out there it's whatever's available so when I was in southern Argentina it was ham and cheese baguette or cheese and ham whichever way you looked it and then I got to Got to chili and it was chicken and rice but thankfully we could stock up at service stations and and, and buy pasta in the evening but we had to approach it almost as a polar expeditionary, you would be losing weight from day you start to the day you finish so i started cycling i, I weighed 90 kilos everyone's like ah, you don't look like a, a cyclist but for me I wanted to keep the weight on in the timber I and mean, then you, you, the first week is always going to be hard. I mean, you start shedding that weight, getting, and getting fitter, but to keep on top of that, I, I broke the cycling. I didn't look at the 14,000 miles. I didn't look at that because if you look at that, you wouldn't even get on the flight. You know, how do I break that out in, into manageable bike sizes? So I, I broke it into countries, broke the countries into days and the days into four stages. And so I had to have a big breakfast, and then all I would do is just cycle as fast as I could for two hours. Um, I then got off the bike for 30 minutes, had food and water, but I was very disciplined in my timings. I wasn't, it was 30 minutes and I was back on the bike. I wasn't having a selfie with a llama. I wasn't chatting to anyone else on the side of the road. And then I would just look at the next two hours. I wouldn't look at that afternoon or the next day. So for me, it was just four training rides a day, four two hour training rides a day. And then it got, and then as I got fitter, I was banging in
2: the the bigger miles. Yeah, that may, I did that with um, uh, marathons. Uh, not that I'm a marathon. I'm, you know, I'm like you. I'm I'm a hundred kilos. So I'm, I'm you know. I'm not. I'm not built to do any of that stuff. But um, what I, what I tried to do with marathons in the end was instead of saying I'm running a marathon, yeah, just kind of go. oh, I've got I've got four ten ks and then a two mile run. Yeah, yeah. And then it becomes like oh, that's that's all right.
0: Yeah. yeah. You know He's that that's not terrible. Life. Yeah. Um, you mind, but you also need to make, you know, for me on this challenge, I also made sure that I was on target at the end of the day. You know, yeah. you, you see people, I see people doing their challenges and like, well, I'm, I'm 10 miles behind today, but I'll catch that up tomorrow. But you don't know what tomorrow is going to bring. You could have another bad day and maybe 20, 30 miles behind. And that starts playing with your head then, especially at night when you've got a bit of free time. If you finish, and that's why I always say stay on the bike, 30, 45 minutes till you hit your target because then you're in a good headspace going into the next day knowing that you were where you should be. I think after the first week, we had really strong winds the first week and I was 39 miles behind target but my target was still a week ahead of the world record and then from then on, it was all gains and I was never, so I was, I was quite lucky that I was never behind target or touch and go, it was always yeah. go.
2: so um, uh, just because you touched on uh the royalty as uh how is harry is a, a a cool guy
0: yeah he's a cool guy yeah so um you know i came back from the bike ride and two days later it was the royal wedding i was still getting used to having my family around me never mind the world's press because i hadn't really been following um the, the, the royal wedding and unfortunately you know not unfortunately at all but you know I did an amazing feat. We raised over £900,000 for mental health. We smashed two-wheel records. And yeah. the first question I got when I got back to Aberdeen was, how was the wedding? I was that like, really? <laughs> it, was like, it just overshadowed anything I'd done. So I, I wish I'd had at least a week or two to appreciate yeah. what I'd done before that. But yeah, no, he, he, he's really good. And as you see, he, he's a, a very much a, a great ambassador for the veteran community. Mm. does a lot of philanthropy work. And, you know, yeah, we still... Very much in in contact and obviously that's probably one of the reasons i'm here in california um, when i realized that he was he was here as well so you know moving forward i you know my book relentless came out and you know everyone was like you know amazing amazing endurance feat blah 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 but you are the security guru why are you still not in this in that in that arena so so that's what I'm doing. I have, I've set up a security company over here, uh, very low profile, working with some uh, ultra high net worths, um, but still want to do push myself, push my boundaries, and, and help. Yeah, what's, what's
2: what's next? You got any? You got any other crazy world record thing that you want to try?
0: Yeah. So obviously the two the two questions after the uh, the bike ride first was I was a raw wedding, and the second, one, what was next? So so my USP, you know, I take a sport or discipline I've never done before. You know, so I've enjoyed cycling and I've cycled the world's longest road. So next year, 1st of February, I set off. and am kayaking the world's longest river, which has never been done before, from source to sea, the River Nile in Rwanda okay. to Egypt, 4,280 okay. miles. Um, so cycled the world's longest road, paddled the world's longest river. You know, there's obviously a theme there, something that, that, that's working. And just take all my experiences from before and put it in that. You know, the campaign for mental health was great for uh for the bite right, this one you know we're going to focus a bit on modern slavery human trafficking poverty pollution sustainability okay. conservation there's so many things we can talk about uh, on the now so i didn't want to just channel myself down one avenue with with one cause so we'll do quite a bit now,
2: as you um as you get sort of your 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 public profile gets bigger um and you're doing something like this, do you start to you know do people approach you about doing um you know, can I do like a documentary following it, or a you know a, a program to follow it, or anything? Because I think that, that would be awesome. Like, I, I would watch that. I don't watch a lot of TV, but yeah to watch somebody go through the the highs and lows of doing what is he four thousand? Yeah, I
0: think the miles. the bike ride was almost my CV. You know, you imagine me trying to get sponsorship for that. Like, mm. never cycled before. We're I mean, gonna cycle the world's longest road and raise a million pounds, and and that because it was such a success. And it's like it's a lot easier now. And you know. Um but we, we have we have a documentary footage from the last one. You know, we've we've archived that and we were gonna potentially use it and we're gonna do six episode documentary on this one. So there will be okay. there no, will be a on this. So whether we mix in the bike ride with this or do two series, we're not we're not too sure. Yeah, that'd um, be cool. because uh, the, the best thing is we've done we've marinated that rather than launching it out straight away. I think now we've got a, a better message. My son are going to disturb us now on this podcast. So that's cool. all right. That's
2: all, all right. I love it. Here we go. Uh,
0: yeah.
2: Yeah. <laughs> that's fine. Um, <laughs> that's all right. Um, <laughs> I think we must be getting. We must be getting close to an hour anyway, are we?
1: We've just gone over there, yeah. Just so there. We'll,
2: yeah, that's fine. we we'll um, winding it down it's anyway. Always, uh, it's always so easy when somebody comes on and just talks. <laughs> it's like I don't know if I do <laughs> it, but um, yes, yeah, it's, uh, it's uh you know. You, you can tell you obviously do quite a bit of talking because you're um, you're very, very good at it.
0: Yeah, well, I'd never, I'd never, like I said, I didn't see, I didn't see a, a, a I didn't see, I didn't look beyond the bike ride. You know, that's one of the things that caught me out. We did it so I wasn't smuggling people across borders. I didn't see a career in guest speaking or, or book opportunities and, and things like that. So naturally I, I enjoy speaking or I'm a good speaker anyway because probably from my time in the military being an instructor, I was confident mm talking in front of yeah. people like that, I don't know anyway so um yeah. so that that's always that's always helped my wife always said oh you get paid to talk about yourself Who wouldn't enjoy that you know so but
1: <laughs> so, yeah,
2: yeah. Um, but no yeah it's um it's been it's been great it's uh it's been it's been really really interesting that there's there's so many things that, um I could quite easily double back on but uh you know maybe if you're if you're back in Scotland at some point we'll do one in person we'll, we'll get in a little studio and do one do one properly. Um, yeah,
0: we will. We would always do. we do, do episode two, maybe post Nile or, or. Definitely, whatever. yeah,
2: definitely. definitely. And that, yeah. That'd be that'd be awesome. There's so many things yeah. um I could double back on. there. There's so many interesting little things I could go off on. But um, yeah,
0: yeah, yeah. we just scrape awesome. the surface. You know, we, we'll do another episode.
1: Definitely. Yeah, definitely. What we'll do is we'll, we'll start winding down. Let you get away, Dean. But just for anyone that is interested in following you or finding out more about your journeys and your your mm. expeditions, where can we send them? on the social media or the internet so they can find out more about you?
0: Yeah, so I'm on Instagram at Dean Stott um, and, and Facebook. Twitter's at Dean Stott SBS. Um, you know, I'm a bit, bit new to Twitter. Um, and if you go to my website, um, there's a lot. there'll be a lot of stuff getting posted up on there. The Nile stuff we're just about to launch and you know, we'll push, push forward on the social media campaign there. You know, this time around be very difficult different from the, the bike ride. So when I did the bike ride, social media was a taboo to me. So I wasn't really yeah. comfortable in, in talking about it. When, whereas I now know it's a platform to promote yeah. your message. So this time round, we'll be filming the training and, and, and all sorts.
2: It was actually awesome. Uh, just because just you're talking about the platform of it, we were speaking to um, uh, CGRT's uh, last time out, who's, uh, who does the, the podcast with uh, Pat McNamara. Oh, right, he's yeah. a brilliant marketer, understanding how to get the best out of the whole thing. Yeah. I'll have to listen back to his one uh, to kind of understand how to get the best out of these things. But yeah, if you use them right, they could be a huge, huge tool. So, um, but yeah, Definitely. I mean, thanks for your time. Uh, I think we should let you get to the kids and uh, <laughs> enjoy, enjoy your afternoon
1: over there and sort of the you know, nothing <laughs>
0: exciting.
1: <laughs> <laughs> well, let's call that episode 65 of the Silly Goose Gang podcast with Dean Scott. Let's call it done and dusted. Dean, it's been a real pleasure and thank you very much.
0: Thank you so much. Appreciate having me. The
2: Silly Goose Gang Podcast.